Hey, this is Lisa Kostova with the Star Guided Entrepreneur. Today, I want to chat with you guys about the feelings that I'm feeling and that you may be feeling around the spread of the coronavirus. So unless you've been living in an isolation tank, chances are your system is inundated with news of the virus and how it's spreading and the risk levels going higher and higher and it becoming very likely a pandemic. And here's what I want you to do first. Pause and close your eyes and let's take a deep breath. <sighs> Exhale. And again, take an inhale. And exhale. Feel your body. Feel your connection with the seat or the ground. The surface you're sitting on. Don't open your eyes yet. And let's take a third deep breath. In and exhale, let it out. <sighs> the reason I wanted to ground us before this conversation is because I have been feeling a lot of fear and I have been experiencing a lot of anxiety that creeps up that just oozing from all the news and the media about the virus. And obviously the stock market crash to me gave me flashbacks of that time in my dorm room between my first and second year business school when I logged into my Ameritrade account to, you know, withdraw money to sell some stocks and paid the tuition for my business school. And I found that I'd lost half of the money and that the money for my tuition was poof, gone. I remember exactly where I was when I sat down and looked at the screen. I remember what time of day it was. I remember the feeling that I had. And the feelings that I'm feeling now when I'm seeing the news of the stock market crash, of the coronavirus spread, is really uncannily resembling that feeling that I had back in my dorm room in 2008, September, to be precise. Interestingly enough, a lot of people were lost. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to react. I was part of a class of interns who interned at Google, and they called us back in September to let us know if we got an offer or not. And thank goodness for social media because all of the interns were connected and one by one we got the news that we hadn't gotten an offer. But what we didn't know and what was revealed to only a couple of the people who had exceptionally friendly relationships with their managers at the time was that Google had put a freeze on hires from the intern class and they didn't want to upset the university. They didn't want to upset their biggest university partners. So they were keeping that secret and they were letting all of us know that we didn't get an offer because, you know, we just weren't good enough as if that helped, you know, that was a time when I went to business school in Boston. And I think of the Logan airport, if you've ever been there, normally they're really great at clearing the runways from snow and there's no snow piling up and they usually can fly planes in and out with snow. But when there's a severe snowstorm, the board on Logan Airport looks bright red. Everything says canceled, canceled, canceled. And it's happened a few times during my business school years when that was the case. And that's what the career office at Harvard Business School looked like in September and October of 2008 when all the companies were canceling their visits. 
And it felt really unsettled. It felt very insecure. Not only was I borrowing money that I had lost in savings and incurring student debt, but I also had no perspective, no prospects for landing that paying job, which all business school students are conditioned to expect to then help offset the cost of business school and put them on trajectory for earning lots and lots of money. In fact, my graduating class of 2009, we had, I think, a record low number of people who were graduating with offers in hand. I think something like 60 to 70% of people only had offers, which is extremely low. And usually they only had one offer. Normally, the school graduates classes that have upward of 90, 95% offers, at least one offer with multiple offers being held. So it was a very scary and unsettled time. And the reason I'm flashing back to that time is because of what emerged out of it. In the case of my graduating class from business school, what ended up happening is that a bunch of people who you know, we're not getting offers in the job market, started their own startup companies. And I can tell you that two of them at least have become uber successful. One, Cloudflare, just IPO'd last year, went public on the market with a multi-billion dollar valuation. And that was founded by two of my classmates at Harvard. The other company that came out that is very well known out of my class is Rent the Runway. And the founder of that company, she and I were classmates in a few classes. And I know that she, as well as the founders of Cloudflare, were originally not really seriously thinking of their companies as becoming big. They were kind of working on them because they had no other options. And they were pouring their creativity and talent into those projects. The saying that goes, necessity is the mother of invention. And so was the case with my class. I ended up going to an Uber growth company that at the time was just a couple hundred people. They were small enough. They were too small to go and recruit in universities. That company was Zynga, the game maker. If you guys remember your Facebook feed from about 12 years ago, maybe you'll remember seeing a lot of farm animals from this farming game called Farmville. Well, I was one of the product managers on it. We were making stuff up as we went. We learned a lot. We were experimenting a lot. We literally printed money by accident a lot of times. I learned a lot about what makes people buy, what makes people move, what people like, what they don't like. It was an incredibly valuable uh, period of my life. And I was able to grow so rapidly that my next job after that, my next gig after that was actually in a much higher level. And I was able to start building a team from scratch and build the product function and the marketing function for a new company. So the reason I'm mentioning that is I've been thinking a lot lately as I've been experiencing this kind of surge of familiar fear now around the coronavirus outbreak and have been thinking about the opportunity that came out of that space of fear back in 2008 and 2009. And I keep reminding myself and I want to remind you guys about that opportunity being, you know, oftentimes overlooked and overseen because everybody's scrambling to find safety and safe heaven in whatever they can. And that safety and security is usually illusionary, especially at a time of a major crisis, global crisis like this one may potentially become. And it's very interesting because it correlates to a planetary astrological symbol, an archetype symbolized by the planet Pluto. And this year, 
is a very unique year. 2020 is the year where, from the Earth perspective, if you look at the sky with a telescope, you will see three planets aligned close to each other. It's a triple planetary alignment that we are experiencing between three planets. Those are Saturn, Jupiter, and Pluto. That alignment has not happened since about 700 BC and has only happened twice in the past couple of thousand years. And I did a workshop with my master astrology teacher, Stephen Forrest, in Borrego Springs at the end of January on it, just because it was so fundamentally important and there were so many guidance principles I can use that anybody can use out of understanding those planetary archetypes and what is possible when they come together, both in terms of opportunity as well as in terms of developments and blind spots and things that may scare us. So Pluto is the archetype that I'm going to talk about here because it's the one that I feel is most correlated with the coronavirus outbreak. If you think about Pluto, it's an ice planet. It was recently downgraded to a dwarf planet, but still remains a very powerful astrological archetype. The meaning of Pluto can be felt if you recall the time when it was discovered. So Pluto was discovered in the 1930s. And any of these planets that are further away from the sun, anytime when they're named and discovered, just the synchronicity of the universe works in such a way that they impart part of their meaning onto the events or take on their their meaning from events and the consciousness of the world at the time of their discovery. So for example, the planet of thunder and lightning bolts and sudden changes and shifts and rebellion and visionaries, planet Uranus, was discovered around the time of the discovered and named around the time of the French Revolution and the American Revolutions, the planet of spirituality or connected to spirituality, the planet that's connected with the divine, with kind of dreams and impressions. That's Neptune. It's also connected with imagery, movies, music. It was named and discovered around the time of the rise of Impressionism in Western Europe when the world was transitioning from the classic understanding of paintings being very concrete representations of reality to these impressionistic paintings that really conveyed only the impression and the feeling behind the scene. That was also the time of rising interest in mediumship, in uh, spiritual seances around the time of the discovery of electricity, which then enabled movies, photography. That was the first photographs came out around that time. So it's beautiful to see how these planetary archetypes tie in with the consciousness and the developments in humanity around the time of their discovery and naming. The same with Pluto. Pluto was discovered in the 1930s. And if you recall, that was the time of the rise of Nazism in Germany and also the rise of fascism in Italy, you know, the rise of that kind of big, strong empire in Japan. And Pluto is all about power. Pluto symbolizes the highest power that we can actually see in astrology, absolute power. But it's also power that is transpersonal. And it also is associated with the the concept of death, destruction, but also rebirth. So we saw what happened when individual egos lusted after the concept of power, absolute power during the 1930s and took the world into the biggest, most destructive 
period of war of humanity where tens of millions of lives were lost. Lots of destruction happened. And that was a very scary, very fear-filled time of our civilization, of our history. And at the same time, it paved the way. It gave rise, gave birth to a lot of life afterwards. So think of the baby boomer generation, boom of babies being born right after the war. Think of the all the inventions, like the rocket ships that made it possible for us to land on the moon, that powered whole industries and manufacturing innovations that gave people appliances in their household, in their offices. The pace of technological innovation really, really quickened during the war because everybody was in the race to outdo the other side. So that's a beautiful illustration of how Pluto works. Pluto... The archetype of Pluto is, I personally connected with Kali, the goddess of death and destruction in the Hindu mythology, and is a, is a necessary agent of change and of keeping us constantly reinventing, constantly regenerating, constantly renewing. But it's not for the faint-hearted, and it's not something we enjoy doing when we're going through a period that's marked with fear, with dissolution, with something old dying in order for something new to be born. So I've been thinking a lot about that because with this planetary alignment that we are observing right now in the skies, Pluto is coming together with two other planets, with Jupiter and Saturn. And actually in January, when it touched from an Earth perspective, made contact with Jupiter, that was obviously in the sign of Capricorn. And it correlated, interestingly enough, with news of this kind of big virus coming out of China and trying to be contained. And for the first time, kind of there being a sense that something is growing and is an expanding. And Jupiter is, I'll, I'll say very little about it. I'll just say that it expands everything it comes in contact with. It's not just good or bad or lucky or unlucky. It just expands everything it comes in contact with. And the dark side of Pluto is, you know, all the fears that we see, everything that we see that may be dangerous or, or ugly or unconscious. So Pluto is very much connected with unconscious fears and unconscious beliefs. And the process, whenever there's a strong impulse from Pluto in our lives relative to, you know, when we were born and, 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 and all that, I'm not going to go into the technical details, but anytime there's a strong impulse from Pluto, we are tempted to hide, to, to cover it up because it generates a lot of fear. And it also, the high expression of Pluto is actually making the unconscious conscious, bringing unconscious material in the conscious. But it operates on various different levels. And so it's interesting for me to observe that also on the physical level and on the mass consciousness level, it's now operating as a virus. Something comes in, comes out that was hidden, that was not visible, that's not visible to the human eye. But it was also attempted to be covered up in China during the first few weeks of the outbreak. This virus dates back to November of 2019. And the external world didn't start hearing about it until the new year until 2020, just when Pluto made contact with that expansive energy of Jupiter in the sky that was in mid-January of 2020. So looking at the archetype of Pluto and what's going on in the skies, I'm seeing an opportunity here for all of us to master how we deal with our fear and to really step into that powerful stance that Pluto calls us to, which is facing thoughts, feelings that we may be experiencing that 
we may not realize we are that fearful or we may not realize we hold certain beliefs and just acknowledge them. Awareness is the first step of bringing the unconscious into the conscious. Another part that we can benefit from, a lesson we can take from Pluto is that anytime that there's like a big shift, a big crisis, something happens that generates a lot of fear, there's an opportunity for us to be thinking in a different way, to be looking for opportunity to not only survive and not only ensure our survival, but also generate abundance, generate security, generate a different feeling, a feeling of power for ourselves and for those around us, for others. There's always the biggest fortunes in the financial world have been made post-crisis or post-market crashes, just because the few people who find the creativity and the imagination and who find the wherewithal and the courage to think of new ideas or new projects like my classmates did back in 2008 and 2009 when everybody was panicking that they're not going to get jobs. These individuals actually started something that was meaningful for them, that they saw as valuable and something that they could do, they could apply themselves to and deliver value in the world. And they were rewarded for it, largely because so few companies were starting at that time that when they started getting traction, it was a lot less competitive for them to raise money. And they didn't have as many competitors being started because people were afraid and they were holding on to capital, to cash. So the investors and the startup founders who took risks at that time were rewarded. Now, when you're looking at your own life and your own business, perhaps, you know, if you're a coach or an entrepreneur and just starting out as a coach or entrepreneur, there's a lot of risk out there for sure. But that also creates an environment where, where people start feeling emotionally charged around certain subjects that are important to them. And one of the criteria that I personally have learned we use in picking market positioning and picking an area of the market that you as a coach can uniquely serve has to do with picking a space that has an emotional charge. You want to be selling your services. You want to be serving people with your products and services who on an emotional level care about finding a solution to their problem, who really are having those, you know, middle of the night, wake up and stare at the ceiling moments. So in conclusion, my invitation to you is to realize that A, this too shall pass, B, Take note of any fears and thoughts and patterns that arise in you and say, aha, interesting. Be very, very aware of the emotional state that you're in and shift that state. Find ways to look forward, to look in the future, to look at opportunities. Where can you now go in and serve, be of service that actually delivers results? And where can you step forward where everybody else will be afraid to step forward and do something, either, you know, a new business idea, a new startup, or really doubling down on the services, on the idea that you already have for your market? That's it for today. I would love to hear your thoughts. Let me know if this resonates with you. I am still thinking about it. I'm still processing, but I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear if this is helpful and share your stories with me. If you know you have my email, it's lisa at athenastrategypartners.com. I'd love to hear how you are standing in your fear, how you are noticing it, and what opportunities are you seeing for creating something 
of value, something that is going to uniquely position you in the marketplace as a coach, consultant, and entrepreneur. After all, there's this planet up there in the planetary alignment called Jupiter. And Jupiter is all about opportunity and spotting opportunity and yeah, having faith. Talk to you guys on the next episode of the Star Guided Entrepreneur. Have a beautiful rest of your week.